welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Bryce Simon is in the building. We have a couple of things that we need to talk about. Bryce is here because, uh, well, someone fell through. And, you know, we get we get double-dip Bryce this week. It's great. We, we love to see it. He's wearing his chief shirt. You know, I didn't mean all... to show that off. I'm sorry. I, I just naturally do it. And I feel like people probably think I'm like trying to pop the jersey or whatever. That's not what I'm, yeah. that's not my intention. My bad. There are worse things. There are worse things. Uh, so we're going to talk today. We're going to talk about James Harden trade talks and like Terrence Mann apparently being the breaking point. There was a really good report from Sam Amick at The Athletic. Fantastic website. Go subscribe there. Uh and explaining like the trade talks and what's going on there. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit about where that sits. We're also going to talk about the fact that the Rockets and Thunder came to a trade agreement to finally move Kevin Porter and acquire Victor Oladipo and Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Then we're going to take reader questions. Uh, Bryce, what's going on, buddy? Not much. Uh, I just want to report the movie you told me to watch the other night was actually quite good. I enjoyed it. Totally killer. Me and my wife both enjoyed the movie. It was kind of right up my speed. The gore was like borderline. Okay, like, do we really need to do this for this type of movie? But the storyline was easy to follow. I enjoyed it. Overall, good movie because... Honestly, Sam, lots of times I'll just stop watching. I'll start playing on my phone. I'll start doing something else. And so it also yeah. made uh, my wife happier that I watched the whole movie because our quality <laughs> time was actually quality time. So good call. I'm, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. That's the that's the goal here. Uh, yesterday, I spent some time uh, potentially purchasing many, uh, many Blu-rays because Criterion had a sale. Uh, Criterion is this, you know, high-end you know, uh, let's go with curator service uh, of movies and they sell Blu-rays and, you know, bought a good, you know, 15, 16 movies. It was great. I'm excited. We, we love the 50% off flash sales from Criterion. Uh, Criterion, sponsor the show. Uh, come on, come on in. Let's do it. So, okay, we're going to start here with the, um, let's start with the Rockets and Thunder deal first because we can knock that out. So, this is just kind of a simple trade. The Houston Rockets traded Kevin Porter and two future second round picks for Victor Oladipo and Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Uh, the Thunder are going to get a 2027 second from Minnesota and a 2028 second from Milwaukee. Look, there's obviously like a real moral aspect of these two teams consummating deal for Kevin Porter, given that Kevin Porter is in the middle of legal proceedings in New York uh, associated with an alleged assault uh, of his girlfriend. And that is a real factor here. And anybody that, you know, feels some type of way about this, totally understand that. I, I think there's a real, you know, Houston maybe should have just cut him. Right. Where I ended up kind of coming down on this was on that, on the moral side of it was a moving him gets him out of the NBA sooner because Oklahoma city is going to cut him immediately. B look, you can blame the rockets for indulging Kevin Porter for a couple of years now and, you know, building things around him to some respect. And I think that's like a completely reasonable opinion. I like the, I, I, if they're going to cut him anyway, I don't really have an issue, I guess, with them moving him. 
either, uh, just in order for him to get cut. The, the end result here is that as long as he was cut before opening night, no more of his money was going to be guaranteed. Uh, and as long as that happened in one way or another, I- I'm good with it, I guess. And this is the way it happened. And, you know, it, I get that it's a little bit unsavory for some people. And I think that's a completely valid and, you know, okay opinion to hold. It, the end result for me is just like, as long as he was gone before opening night and no more of his money got guaranteed, that's a, that seemed like the best outcome for everybody involved. Yeah, I think when you explain it that way, Sam, it makes sense, right? Because we talked about this a few weeks ago. And part of my thing was like, I just hated the idea of like somebody of assets exchanging hands involving Kevin Porter Jr. and, and all of that. But if it gets him out of the league, now which again based off what he's allegedly done he should be out of the league and i don't feel like we should see him back in the league and it you know doesn't he doesn't get paid any more money because this happens now when it happens then like fine i still don't love it but it is what it is and so i'm cool if this is the way it had to go down With Oklahoma City, they will get a couple of second-round picks way out into the future. With the Rockets, what the Rockets do here, more than anything, in my view, is they get to basically keep the placeholder money uh, for a potential deal later in the season. Uh, They have Victor Oladipo now. Victor Oladipo... Look, I mean, maybe he, you know, he's going to be hurt for a while this season. Obviously, he's not going to play uh, until mm, I think that like he has that. What is it? It's patella injury, and it's going to take a minute for him. But you know, they have his nine million dollars salary. They can use that as an expiring deal and salary matching purposes uh, in a potential move down the road this season. I think that more than anything is what this deal is about is extending that asset, kicking that like salary bucket down the road a little bit and trying to give them a chance to consummate a deal later on. Uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, I think is an interesting flyer for what it's worth. I think I'm a little bit higher on Robinson Earl than, you know, what Oklahoma city, some Oklahoma city fans are for sure. Uh, I totally get why Oklahoma City fans, you know, uh, are skeptical he will ever be a real rotation player. And frankly, I am too. Like, I think he is deserving of a roster spot in the NBA right now. But I wouldn't say that he's a guaranteed rotation player anywhere by any stretch of the imagination. So what Oklahoma City or what um, Houston's going to have to decide now is if they want to keep him. And to me, like, I, I probably would personally. I would, you know. The vibes from Boban are always immaculate, and he's probably a great guy to have around for a team that certainly needs veteran leadership. But they also went out and got Fred Van Vliet and Jock Lawndale. And uh, Dylan, you know, Dylan Brooks, Brooks doesn't add to that. I, I think he does for what it's no, worth. No, like, I know. I'm, I know. I've always been a you know Dylan Brooks guy in terms of like you know culture on the team. I think that people around the organization generally like him. So it, it's. It's a deal where I think I would probably cut Boban and keep Jeremiah Robinson Earl, or what I would consider cutting Aaron Holiday as well to keep Jeremiah Robinson Earl. But if they do decide that he's the guy that they're going to move on from, I think there is also a case for a number of teams to just offer Houston a second round pick and give him a shot. Some like Boston, I think, should do this. Like if if Houston decides, you know, Robinson Earl is the odd man out. 
Boston should call Boston should be calling Houston now and just going like, Hey, like we will give you a second for Robinson Earl. You know, we could use one more body in the front court. Uh, it might fit for us. Yeah. I'll tell you, that was my biggest takeaway from this beyond that. Like just looking at it a basketball sense, I think Houston also created a 4.3 or $4.7 million trade exception in this. Um, I believe I saw that in a tweet from Bobby Marks, but JRE was a guy as somebody that covers the Pistons that I was really interested in because the Thunder, I believe, had 18 contracts on the books. And I was yep. just watching, you know, they got to cut three guys. Pistons have an open roster spot. Troy Weaver used to be in Oklahoma City. I like this just makes too much sense that this is why Troy Weaver is keeping an open roster spot. And JRE fit right into what the Pistons need in terms of a four man. I mean, definitely off the bench. We talked about this maybe even in the starting lineup. You know, I don't know that he would come in and do that. They're going to give other guys chances. No no way. I know. But he just, he fits a spot on this team, on the Pistons team that would really make sense. So it would be interesting. I I thought that was a, for Houston to get someone like him. I I don't know where the minutes come for him in Houston, but uh, he's always been intriguing to me all the way back to the, you know, the draft process. Well, and look, here's the deal with JRE. Like he is undersized to play the five. uh, And he's not like a super perimeter player in terms of being able to play the four, but he's really smart. I do think he passes well. I think he's an unselfish player. He makes the right decisions. The shooting up until the ankle injury last year was quite good. Uh, In the first 27 games of their season, he knocked down, I think 36% of his threes on three or four per game. So I, I think that there is a player there in some respect. It's just, you know, it, he's not a great finisher and he's not really a rim protector. It's just that he's a smart positional player who's strong and is willing to play physically and will rebound. And it, you, those guys have value. They're just probably more borderline rotation guys as opposed and, and like, frankly, depth guys as opposed to like real difference makers uh, in the NBA. Yeah, I think I believed in the shooting a little bit more, which, you know, at Villanova, he was 30% from three and 77% from the free throw line. Mm -hmm. I think he's been like 34% from three on three attempts in his NBA career. So, you know, maybe there's some continued growth with that. And if it really pops, then, you know, you really have something in terms of a guy that fills out your roster, maybe is actually a backup big, you know, your fourth big. But like, if he's your fifth big, which was probably what he is in Boston, as you brought up earlier. I think you can do a lot worse than Jeremiah Robinson Earl as your fifth big or sixth big. Like he definitely belongs on an NBA roster and he's only two years into his NBA career. There's obviously still room that he could grow. Yeah. And the other thing is if somebody does want him, I would trade for him sure. because he's on 1.9 million this year, club option for 1.9 million next year. And that deal is extendable then. Uh, if you, you know, if he gets released and somebody just signs him, it's, you know, you're restarting the clock kind of thing. So this does have value in my opinion, at least uh, as a potential, you know, look, it's not a lot of value. It's a, you know, protected second round pick probably if he's getting moved for something, but I I would do that if I was a team, if Houston decides they don't want to keep him. That's interesting. I didn't think about the contract aspect of it in terms of a little more team control over him, as opposed to like, let's say the Pistons brought him in. If he was waived, he plays really good for a year and then you don't have any control over him and he's hitting the market again. And you may have just 
you know, showed him off for an entire season for somebody else to pick him up, sign him and, and reap the benefits of that. So yeah, it, it does make more sense to trade for him in that sense. Right. I think that is true. Okay. Let's go to the James Harden and Clippers saga that seemingly will never end. Uh, the Clippers and 76ers, you know, as we talked about on, I think the last episode you and I did maybe two episodes ago, they continue to talk very clearly. Uh, there is interest from multiple parties here to try and get this done. And According to Sam Amick, they had their last round of trade talks on Monday. Uh, That's not very many days ago. It's literally probably 48 hours ago. And the topic that continues to come up for them, according to Sam, is the Terrence Mann piece of it. So the Sixers have told the Clippers, according to Sam, they would accept an offer of a Clippers unprotected first round pick, a first round pick swap players to match the salaries and Terrence Mann, two people involved in the negotiations. Uh, Yeah. According to two people involved in negotiations, it looks like Uh, Lawrence Frank has reiterated again, that the team stance is that Terrence Mann won't be a part of their offer. Uh, And according to Sam Maury, uh, those people say expressed his disbelief and accused the Clippers of being unserious about getting a deal done. He even quipped that they should just trade Clippers star Paul George for Harden <laughs> if they were so determined to keep all of their lesser assets. Just like, oh, Daryl, that's 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 funny to me. Like, I don't know. I, people might think that that's like overly serious, but that's just funny. Um yeah, and look, like Shams has been reporting that, you know, Harden has not been with the Sixers since Sunday and, um, you know, he's not even really in Philly and, you know, missed the team shoot around and Monday preseason win in Brooklyn, missed practice Wednesday. Like th- this, this looks like a situation that is not going to, you know, continue to go well for the 76ers. Here's what I'll ask you as we go through all of that reporting. Is Terrence Mann worth stopping a James Harden deal if you are the Clippers and you really want James Harden? So that's what I've been trying to navigate with this thing is why are the Clippers so adamant to not involve Terrence Mann? Is it depth purposes? Is it future purposes? I just can't figure it out. And I know people are kind of all over the place on Terrence Mann. Like maybe the raw numbers don't just pop off the page as a player who you don't trade for James Harden because you have to move him. My inclination is my gut would tell me you go ahead and add Terrence Mann if you want James Harden that bad. Like you have Paul George, you have Kawhi Leonard. My gut just says you end up adding him to it and make the deal happen and you move forward with those three and the rest of your roster. So I'm not trying to say that Terrence Mann isn't a good player or anything like that. I just feel like my gut says you go ahead and add him and make the deal. Maybe the Clippers are just playing hardball, right? Maybe they just think that Maury will cave, but I don't feel like that's going to happen, Sam. I, I, is this, I feel like this is going to be a stalemate for, for a while if both of them – like. Will Philly just go the season not play him without him and not make the trade? Look, I, I'm going to be really interested come opening night to see if James Harden is on the court because the best thing 
I think for everybody involved is for James Harden to play and they continue to have like a good faith arrangement to move him. But will James Harden feel that if he starts playing, Daryl Morey will just decide, oh yeah, we're just like, we're just going to keep him. Like he's playing now. Like we're good. Right. I don't know the answer to that. I will be interested to find out. Now, to the question of Terrence Mann, on its face, I do think it looks kind of silly that the Clippers wouldn't move Terrence Mann for James Harden. And I say this as somebody, I I have loved Terrence Mann's game. It's Terrence Mann's, uh, I think it's his birthday today. Shout out Terrence Mann. Happy birthday. Uh, He just turned 27. But like, I think I had Terrence Mann higher than everybody else pre-draft. Terrence Mann is a guy that I've long said, I think is an NBA player. I've loved his continued breakout throughout the course of his career. And he's also like a solid, you know, sixth, seventh man who's 27 years old. And I love his versatility. I love the dribble pass shoot ability, even though he is still like a semi reluctant shooter as well, despite what that, uh, game seven, if I remember correctly, it was against the Utah Jazz would indicate where he drilled uh, seven threes in a game against Rudy Gobert. I, I I love Terrence Mann as a player. I think he's the kind of guy you win with specifically. Like the, these are the guys that I always talk about. Like I, I want these guys that you win with. Um, it's a little hard on its face for me to believe that if you want James Harden, who is you know, he was still like all-star caliber last year. He averaged 21 points and 11 assists last year. He was really good uh, up until his uh, Achilles injury. I, I, It's hard for me to believe that he would be the stopping point, but for on some token, like for Philly, I think it's as much as anything like an asset play, right? Like yeah. Terrence Mann is a valuable asset league-wide that I think you could probably get a first-round pick for. If you moved him, like say that they decide that we need to in a three team deal later in the summer, we need to do or later in the season, you know, we need to get another first round pick to go get a second star to put next to Joel Embiid. I bet they could probably move Terrence Mann for another first round pick and get a star. It'd probably be a later first round pick, but you could then get a second. You could get, you know, you, you could offer basically three or four first round picks and then salary matching or whatever to make a deal like this work. So I get it on some level for the Sixers that they would be sticklers on man for the Clippers to do a deal like this. You probably have to move just to make the money work and dependent on if the Sixers are insistent that they include PJ Tucker, which I would be personally again especially if i'm adding man and my goal is like to maintain flexibility into the summer in terms of money right because man has a deal for next season at 11.4 million a great contract for him by the way it would have to be probably harden and tucker for marcus morris nicola batum i think covington and terrence man and that does take away a lot of your depth if you're trying to win right now 
So that's what I was going to ask Sam. Miles Johnson brings this up. He says, my only guess is they think man would be the ideal fifth starter next to all those other guys. Do you think the Clippers holding on to man is obviously the core is those guys, right? But is it because they think man kind of helps complete the roster in a way? Again, I know he's not the core piece, but they will be so depleted with who they send out that they need him to actually go compete in the West, that they need some of that depth. Or is it the future of, hey, we have this younger-ish player. I actually didn't realize Terrence Mann was already that old, but not that 27 is old. But it, Or is it like this future asset because all of these other guys are in their mid-30s? Wh- which would you think it is for the Clippers? I think it's that they actually think they need Mann this year. Got you. Yeah. To like help them win games. Because let's say that you do this deal, right? You're then looking at Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, James Harden, uh, Norman, Norman Powell, Powell, Evita Zubat, Russ, Plumlee. Mason Plumley, And then and it's like guys. mostly, you, you know, the younger guys like All KJ Martin, Kobe Brown, Amir Coffey, Bones. Kenya like, Martin Jr. Yep. Uh, BJ Boston. So I actually would kind of get it if they think that they like need Terrence this year. I, I don't think it's a, oh, we need to keep this younger guy. I think it's they think they need Terrence to like win games right now. So for the Clippers, the question then becomes like, what is your opportunity cost? Like if you do this deal with your expiring deals, what other deals are you leaving on the table? Like, is there a chance that, you know, do you think that there is a marginal difference between DeMar DeRozan and James Harden at this point or something like that? Like, I'm just like throwing out names, right? Do you think that there is like a marginal difference if the Bulls blow it up between would you rather try and take a flyer or, or take a shot at Zach Levine versus James Harden in this? Like the that's the opportunity cost aspect of it for the Clippers as much as anything. It has to work for them for them to want to do this deal. And I would bet that what they're thinking is that the way it works for them is to continue to be an exceptionally high level contender. And that probably involves them needing like a body like Terrence Mann, who can eat up minutes, who can dribble, pass and shoot, and who can be like a winning basketball player. No, that makes sense. So let me ask you this too, Sam. Let's say Mann's off the deal. Who says no, or do both say no? If you add in, let's say you just go 28 and 30, both first round picks. Clippers don't do that at all. No chance. 28 and 30. No pick swap. No pick swap in 29. Now we'll do all the matching salaries and we'll do 28 and 30 because that's essentially kind of what we said is if the Sixers trade for man, then maybe you can flip him for a first, which ends up netting you two first. Are the Clippers unwilling to give up both first? And would Maury say, Hey, those are the two assets I'll take. I'll take those two first round picks if you're not going to give me Terrence Mann? I would venture that the Clippers probably would not want to do that if That's only fr- because it limits their flexibility in a significant way moving forward. That that was my inclination as well. Do you think Maury would take that? Do you think Maury looks at Mann as a player who comes in and helps this team compete this year? We had this long conversation about them competing this year and Joel and all that stuff. Or would he rather say like, hey, now give me two first round picks and I'll be happy. 
I think Maury would probably rather have the two firsts because Sam Amick later in this column says that Philadelphia is known to already have trades lined up in which it would receive a first round pick in exchange for Terrence Mann. So that's interesting to me that they wouldn't, but they want the flexibility. We talked about that and Terrence doesn't have that flexibility going into the offseason. So that that's interesting. I just, you bring in Terrence Mann and maybe you can win some more games this year with that roster. So yeah, like if you're Boston, I mean, and I say Boston for I keep bringing up Boston because Boston needs depth. Um, like if you're Boston, you absolutely try and get Terrence Mann. I actually don't know if they really have like a functional way to do it now that they've given Pritchard this extension. Um, I'm trying to now think of like a team that could do a Terrence Mann deal. I'd really have to stop the podcast here momentarily to like r- like run through some teams, but. Yeah, I, I bet they would do. I bet Philly would do that uh, if they could. If they could get something along those lines. Okay, real quick. James Harden to L.A. and they keep Terrence Mann. Who are they not better than in the West still? So you have Harden, PG thirteen, Kawhi, Russ off the bench. You still have Terrence Mann. Who who is yeah, who's still better it, in the West? By the way, the, the team, a team that would make a lot of sense for Terrence Mann is Sacramento, now that I think about it. Um, but who makes, who, I think I would take the Nuggets still over them. But like so much of this is assuming health in a way yeah. that this team has just not been healthy over the course of their contention window. So the answer is difficult, Bryce. I, I don't. Like, I think that if they're healthy, they can absolutely win the NBA title. But James Harden, you know, seemingly picks up Knicks and everything from, you know, playing as physically as he does throughout the course of his seasons. Kawhi Leonard has not displayed the ability to stay healthy moving recently. Paul George has struggled a little bit with health recently as well. So it's like... It's like you're trying to bet on like multiple pieces of a parlay kind of thing hitting and trying to win. I think I think I was on the phone with Jason Timph maybe and we like made that analogy where we were like not necessarily about the Clippers is about something else. But like, you know, you're betting on like four different things to happen in a parlay when you're betting on a, like football games and you have to hit all four. And, you know, I, there's a reason that those things hit at the level they do you know at a 14 parlay hitting at like 10 percent, right so yeah the clippers fully healthy without Harden. like we're not even thinking top four i mean it's significantly different like even, i think so did you think i guess my question is like Kawhi and pg 13 fully healthy you know a couple of years ago that was that was enough those two guys together yeah do you think it's even close to enough fully healthy Kawhi PG 13, the rest of this roster without James Harden. Like, is that enough to really compete for an NBA championship in this Western conference landscape? I think yes, but I also think that what we saw last year from Kawhi was like when he was healthy, he was a top five player in the world. So you have a top five guy in the world. You have Paul George, who's probably a top 15 guy in the world. Uh, I liked what Russ brought them last year from like an energy and aggression perspective. Uh, I think that he certainly came in there with the right mentality and like wanted to 
be the you know third or fourth option. So yeah, like, but they're in to me like that team is in a group with like I would put Denver ahead of them for sure. Yes, I would put the Lakers ahead of them for sure. Yes. Phoenix, uh, Phoenix, I would probably put ahead of them. Yep. Uh, the Warriors, I'd probably put ahead of them. If we're assuming health for the Clippers, we have to assume health for everybody. Yep. So it, it's, you know, you're talking about like four teams there, right? And, you know, there are all these other teams too that are quite good that I think in a seven game series could give the Clippers problems. So it, it's, it's not easy, I think, no. for the Clippers. So I I think that what a hardened deal does is it gives them more margin for error, Agreed. which is ultimately kind of what I think they need as much as anything else is just more margin for error. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what you're trying to get, right? You're trying to give yourself the best chance possible and adding Harden does that. And if you can keep Terrence Mann, then it does it even more, right? And so you have to try to win while you have the window with these guys, even if it's a little bit of a risk. So it's just that West is so good. It's it's Sometimes I look at this from the Clippers side and I'm just like, where does this actually put them? But at the end of the day, it, it does make it a better chance. And if it's going to give you a better chance to, to win a championship and be in contention, then it's probably something you need to do. Okay. Let's take a quick commercial break and then we will be back and we will talk mailbag questions. And if you have questions and you're watching here on YouTube, please bring them on in. We have a bunch to start with that we'll get to. And we'll get to some YouTube questions and everything like that. So send them off in the comments. Do that. We're talking about players securing the bag. When they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN. If you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. 
Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account. Nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay, we're back. <laughs> we're going to try and share some screen here while we're doing these nice. questions. I like shout it. Out, shout out Francis OKC, who asks the first question. Rank the Thunder Big Four, but in five years' time, assuming full health and all still with Oklahoma City, Shay, Chet, Jalen Williams, and Josh Giddy. Uh, and he puts in parentheses, <laughs> knowing my love for Alexei Pokashevsky. Uh, open to Poku. Replacing one if preferred. I'll take this one to start. I would rank them. If we're assuming full health. <laughs> I know what you're doing. I can't wait. It, I know. I know my answer. If you want me to go. Yeah, you go. Shay, J-Dub, Chet, Giddy. I. I. <laughs> I go back and forth. It's Emily Shea at one and is, uh, apologies to Josh Giddy, who I love. And, you know, uh, again, I've said multiple times on the show, I think he's a future all-star. Um, I would put Josh Giddy at four. Yeah. And that, it really that was comes... rude of me. I'm sorry. That made it sound like I didn't even consider Giddy a good player. I'm sorry. No, 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 I, I, no. I think he's really good, but the only distinction here was between Chet and J dub for me. And maybe it like, I think Chet's been incredible. We've talked about J dub. So yeah, Josh Giddy is really good. It's more of how much I believe in these other three as well being studs. So that sounded bad with Giddy. No, that's absolutely right. But I think that the more I think about it, if we're going full health, I do think I would go Chet because I think that Chet's defensive ability mixed with his offensive like marginal advantages that he's able to create on defenses is just a real differentiator for him uh, compared to other centers outside of Vic, like being as high level defensively as Chet is with his anticipation, his rim protection, his ability to play multiple defensive coverages mixed with the ability to shoot from the perimeter, to pass, to drive, which in the preseason has actually been the so thing good. I've been most impressed with. with yes. Him. So, you mix all of those things together as much as I love J-Dub and we've talked about Jalen Williams extensively on this show. I would tell every Oklahoma city fan, like go back, you know, even just, you know, two weeks ago, I think we talked about him as like a, maybe 10 days ago is like one of the breakout players in the NBA this season. Uh, I do think I would go chat if we're talking full health in five years. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I'm not dying on the J-Dub Hill. I'm kind of living in the Mona moment with J-Dub and us just doing that podcast and just watching him and being so impressed by him. And I think ultimate ceiling, I don't think there's any question that it's probably Chet in that spot, but that that's just where I wanted to go. I, I'll tell you this about Chet. What impresses me all the time is the way he's able to hold up at his body type 
You just, mm-hmm. we've talked about this off air before with James Wiseman, where he tries to play with verticality and he gets hit and he kind of doubles over and then it ends up being a foul. Chet is how much ever less weight and whatever. He just has like this practical functional strength is the only way I can explain it. And I know that's crazy to say for a guy that looks as skinny as Chet, but he gets stuff done. And when he plays with verticality, you don't double him over whenever he takes contact. And it's yeah. so impressive along with his length and his timing. So again, I don't want this to take sound bad towards Giddy. I don't even want it to sound bad towards. Here's what's crazy is we love J-Dub up so much. Talk about multi-time all-star. And, you know, you put Chet above him. I was considering. That just tells you how good a hands Oklahoma City is in. And we're not even talking about SGA, who we both had at number one. That's just, it's crazy the talent well, they have there. Yeah, Shea is going to be a top 10 player in the league this year. Like, Shea is unbelievable. Um, taking off of that question from Cuckoo DMV in the comments here, what are Oklahoma City going to do with their 15 first and 22 <laughs> second rounders? At some point, I'm going to have Andrew Schlecht on to talk about this a little bit more, maybe even next week. Um, he said, shouldn't they use all those picks to get their second best player? Don't they already have that? My opinion is they have their guys. <laughs> like, I think that Chet and J-Dub are both like future all-stars, like as soon as probably in two years. So to me... I think that it's more that they have a lot of different options at their disposal more than anything. They can go out and use these picks in a trade. Like they can trade eight first round picks for whatever star that they want to trade it for. Right. And use Josh Giddy as a, you know, chip use Usman Jang, case and Wallace, like, by the way, Kaysen Wallace looks amazing in the preseason too. Like he's going to play um, up until that injury he had. So like they can do that and that works or they have their stars already and they can max all of those guys if they decide they want to max them. Kind of like how, you know, Denver did. Denver, you know, built around Nicole Jokic, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., and then, you know, filtered in around those guys, right? You can max those guys and then use all of these picks that you have built up, these 15 first rounders, to then go out and trade for veterans that make sense, go out and, you know, very clearly develop at a really high or uh, evaluate and select players at a really high level and just have those guys as your cheap, you know, second, third, fourth year players who can be rotation players in the playoffs. I think the biggest thing that they have now is optionality. The The answer to this question is, what is Oklahoma City going to do with their 15 first and 22nd seconds? The answer is that I don't know. I don't think they need an answer for it yet, though, is the thing. Well, what they're going to do, and you just alluded to it, is instead of signing guys to minimum contracts who you hope can be role players, they're just going to trade a first-round pick for the best role player that they can think of. And it, it won't matter because they have so many. Or they can keep yep. pushing them down the road, you know, whatever it is. Like, they've just set themselves up with so much versatility moving forward, so much flexibility moving forward. And yes, eventually the salary cap's going to catch up a little bit if these guys are as good as what we think they're going to be but still it's always good to have flexibility draft picks and otherwise and the fact they have them maybe they don't always get premium uh you know value for them but it's still better than not having them and 
how, when's the last time we saw it? Most teams that end up with that much talent have traded away their first round picks to get that talent. And now they're just scraping to find second round picks to fill out their roster, i.e. the Denver Nuggets. Now it looks like the Denver Nuggets. We talked about Strahler the other night, Sam. And then he, I think he like cooked while we were talking about him as well. But the Thunder are going to have multiple first round picks to fill out their roster. So it'll be really impressive. I mean, look, from Cuckoo DMV, like, here's a very real question. If you're Oklahoma City, given what you're building, forget, like, he, he Cuckoo brings up uh, Embiid to OKC for Chet Filler in, like, 10 first. <laughs> if you're Oklahoma City, would you move Chet for Joel Embiid? Straight, I mean, straight up. I don't... Why? Given what your timeline is. I was going to say, why? Like, are they ready to win a title... Like as much as we love, maybe they are. SGA is so stinking good, and J Dub's so stinking good. They I might just, be. They, I think they probably are. So it's probably stupid to say no. But why do it that and have just a few years whenever I can have ten years of a chance to win? Now it's kind of more of a sure thing versus a not sure thing because we don't know that Chet's going to be uh, incredible like we think he is. I just want to, my, here's my answer. I want to rock with the guys I drafted. That's just where I'm at. Maybe it's stupid. Maybe I'm crazy. I drafted yeah. these guys. There's something I just really like about the idea of I drafted all these guys. I'm going to rock with them because I think I can win multiple championships with them because I, I believe in how we scouted, drafted, and developed them. If you if you move Chet for Joel, it. If it was just Chet, then I think there's like a real argument sure. one way or another. Yeah. Um, he's locked into a contract. Like he, like I, I would. That's one where I would. I think I'd probably do it. I think I'd probably do it, but I think there is real value in them, like waiting and just continuing to develop and continuing to, you know build this window out as long-term as you can and being smart about it. Like I, I would definitely not move Chet and like, th I, I would not move Chet in four firsts for Joel. Um, if, if it was like Chet and salary filler, I, I guess I'd probably do it because Shay and Joel plus Jalen Williams, plus all of these picks that you have, like you could probably swing it, but like, Sam is, and look, is, this isn't this isn't disrespect to Joel. It's more of a timeline question to me for Oklahoma City. Like jo Joel is drastically better than Chet Holmgren right now. Like I, I'm not oh, yeah. denying that. It's truly just more of a timeline question in terms of if you're trying to fit certain things in certain you know windows as a winner. Is that the best duo in the NBA though? Yeah, I think it might be, which is why like you really strongly consider it. I think. So that, that's um, where the more I thought about it, I'm like, okay, can they win a championship with Joel and how young these guys are? And then the more I thought about it, we just said SGA's top 10. We know Joel's yeah. top three. Who else can compete with that? J-Dub is your number three. You still have Giddy. You, like, that would be the thing for Oklahoma City is they don't have to trade a bunch of quality players to make this happen. It could be one young star with a bunch of draft picks and you still have lots of other, you still have Lou Dort on the roster, plenty of other guys where it's like, okay, you, here's, here's your five year window, five year window right now. Here's the other thing too. That's a little bit scary. If they wanted Joel Embiid, they would not have to move chat. Like because of the draft picks, because of the draft picks and because of everything else they have, like 
I don't know that Philly will get a better offer than like Josh Giddy salary filler and seven first round picks. Done. Do it. Let's sign up. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. It, like they, they wouldn't have to do that either is the big piece of it. Let, let's move off of Oklahoma City though. I do like from Garrett Johnson, half awake takes, uh, which team's future is most closely tied to their play over the first two months of this season. In other words, who could we see quickly hitting the restart button? If things don't go as planned, shout out Garrett. That's my guy. Um, we work pretty closely together and some stuff. Um, Chicago is my number one answer. Yeah. I I've been waiting for Chicago. I don't, I, I just, I, I'm not sure. Is Toronto is one that I am interested to see that I also yeah. think could fall into that fairly quickly. Um, Those are I, my I think, two right now off the top of my head. I think Toronto is the big answer here. Uh, if they win and they're good under Darko and, you know, playing this style with Pascal and Scotty and OG and everybody there, like they, they'll, I think, try and just build around those guys. Like, and it'll be great if they falter and, and like struggle early on. I think you basically have to move Scotty and Ananobi. You can't risk losing those guys for nothing. So, to me, the answer is probably Toronto. Um, I will say this though like, Scotty Barnes has looked really, really good in the preseason, like, really, really, really good. So I'm a little bit more confident in what I've seen from them this preseason than maybe what I anticipated coming in. Having said that, they're definitely the answer to this. Like if, if their first two months, they are, you know, four games below 500 or something, they, they probably have to make a move. Yeah, I agree. Shout out my guy, Malachi Flynn. He'd been playing well here. Um, let me ask you about Atlanta, which I watched Atlanta play the other day, and I actually thought they looked really good. I do too. Yeah. I, I was really impressed, to be honest. I thought the offense was really flowing. As a high school coach who always coaches guys to take charges, and I think everybody's going to hate me when I say this, they tried to take a ton of charges in that game, which I just appreciated as a low-level high school basketball coach. I know nobody likes seeing that in the NBA. I get it. It's silly. What if they don't start off well? I don't know that there's a move to be made there. I think it's probably too quick. Is that even a potential that they do something that that they're not ready to blow it up? Surely, are they? I I don't think it's going to happen for what no. it's worth because yeah. you know I, I think Quinn's got that offense looking really, really. I'm trying to find a team in the West, and yeah, I can't find one that makes. Like Minnesota is not going to go wholesale. Yeah. Like my, my opinion on this tends to be to look for potential like contractual spots, right? Because time is ultimately the thing that makes these moves happen uh, and running out of time to make moves happen. So Atlanta like has most of their guys under deals yeah, right yeah. now, like other than Sadiq and Anyeka, like I guess they could theoretically like not extend those guys and make moves on them. But like, I think they probably wouldn't like totally shake it up. And I, I think they're going to look pretty solid throughout the yeah. start of the season. Uh, I mean, like very real question. Like, what do you think about Detroit for this question? Because if they start like really poorly, I wonder what happens there. 
I'll tell you this. If it doesn't improve this year, it's it's scary what's going to happen because especially if Cade doesn't look like the dude. And yeah. it's it's scary because it's been four, three years. This would be the fourth year of not good basketball, not winning basketball, restoration as they call it in Detroit. If Cade's not the guy and Jaden's just a sixth man and Jalen Duran doesn't take a jump defensively, are you really just going to blow it up again and start from scratch? You still owe a draft pick eventually, which I guess it's protected enough you want to end up conveying it, but they don't have any extra assets. It, it is it is something I have thought about, Sam, and it's something that is scary for the organization if these guys aren't pretty darn good and at least one of them has to be close to a number one option or one of them a number two option and then you can package the other ones to go get a number one option but it's it's a little scary and so 20 30 games in if they're what you know seven and 23 and Kate isn't shooting well and Jaden's struggling and Jalen's not defending great it's it's a little scary where they could be yeah, they're a team that stood out to me a little bit in this question. Uh, okay, next up, we'll shift to a draft question. Uh, what are your thoughts on Creighton in regard to how the supporting cast fits around Trey Alexander and sets him up to show what he needs to in order to make a significant leap leading into next year's draft? Ashworth, Alexander, Shireman around Kalkbrenner should be a blast. Uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting. Like, I think obviously Kalkbrenner is their dude there first and foremost like Kalkbrenner is like I think he's going to be an all-american this year he's probably the best defensive big in the country and on top of it he is other than like you could make a case for Klingon I think maybe there um but their their key thing that happens this season is Trey and how he adjusts to playing you know on and off the ball shifting roles and responsibilities a little bit more and shout out Jacob Padilla for asking this question. We do have some experience of Trey, like running on ball, like in a pretty real way. I think that some people do forget that, that that happened. Like the last like 14, 15, I think like maybe like 12, 14 games of 2021, 22, when he was a freshman, Ryan Nemhard got hurt and he averaged four assists per game and like had to run the show a little bit more often and was pretty impactful. I I think that he can run the show more often. I would expect to see him on the ball a lot more. And I think that Greg McDermott's going to be able to get super, super creative with the way that he uses Steven Ashworth, like running off of crazy screens and he's going to be able to be creative doing the same with Shireman, like those two in like crazy off ball actions. Like you can run, like all sorts of like twists and things like that, that like can really make things hard for defenses. Uh, and then you have Kalkbrenner who can, I think can space the floor. Like it's just that Kalkbrenner doesn't shoot them. I think he can shoot. I just think he chooses not to, if he steps in and like is willing to space the floor and knock down shots, that's kind of a differentiator for them too. Yeah, no, I like this roster around him. Obviously Shireman and Ashworth can really space it. I like giving the big man in the middle, even if he is just playing around the rim, just as a, a, a play finisher. So I've, I have this in my notes on my kind of scout where I have Trey right now is, you know, you just have this roster where you have floor spacing and the big man play finisher. And, you know, he was 30% pick and roll handler last year. 
and he was good, or excuse me, very good, according to Synergy in those play types. How much are you hopeful? What do you want to see more? Do you want to see him prove he can play on the ball like that? Or do you think he needs to prove more that he can play off the ball? Or does he need to prove that he can do both? Like, what do you think NBA teams are wanting to see and needing to see for him to get drafted? I mean, he's going to get drafted, but like be a first round guy. Yeah, I think it's more on ball than off ball for him. Like, I I think to me, that's the, that's the showcase skill. Um, He's not enormous. Like if he was six, 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 seven, then it would be like off ball shooting and like shooting off movement and everything. But being like in the six, four zone, let's say, I think that it's more that he needs to show a little bit more dexterity, like on the ball can be like a legitimate secondary creator who can sometimes be like a combo that runs the show a little bit. I, I think that's the that's the skill set that would change things for him. So that that's where I'm at as well. That would have been my answer is I want to see him, I don't know if exclusively run the show, but I want to see him run the show as much as possible just to see how he, I think he's going to be really good at it. And again, he has the context around him to be successful. He shot the ball really well from three and showed great improvement last year from the year before. So I think he has you know, shown that already. I want to see what he can do. I I think Trey's really good. I know. I think one of the first times I recorded with you, maybe the very first one where I was just guesting, we talked about him a little bit as, as someone we're both very high on. Okay. Uh, from Jack Lane, been curious about this. What makes a prospect a quote unquote 2025 draft guy and not a 2024 draft prospect. If the talent is there, why wait the year? Thinking about somebody like Tyrese Proctor, who wouldn't have been round one in 2024, but is already thought of as a lottery guy for 2024, uh, or wouldn't have been around one, I guess, for 2023, Jack yeah. is saying there. Um, so first and foremost, I think Tyrese would have gone in the first round if he would have entered the 2023 draft. Uh, I'll just say that up front. Uh, by the end of the year, he was really quite good at Duke and scouts had taken notice. Scouts were also really excited about him coming into the year. I bet he would have gone somewhere in the like 18 to 20 range or uh, 18 to 30 range. I'm sorry. Um, in terms of what makes a guy a 2025 and not a 2024, to me, it really comes down to like polish and also frankly, like some like off the court things such as like maturity emotional maturity willingness to fight through adversity willingness to like scratch and claw and like you know climb those walls that you're going to hit as a rookie when you're really young uh especially when you're 19 versus 20 or 21 uh being able to do that and frankly having the skill set to even have a chance to do it in such a skill-based nba league that is that to me is like the different differentiators between what makes somebody a 2025 guy where I think it would be better for them to go back to school uh, versus a 2024. I will also just say when I talk to teams, I, I think that there is a bit of a pushback once you get past a certain point uh, of the draft right now in terms of like, Teams do prefer slightly older players right now. If you're not like taking an enormous upside swing on somebody like, you know, at number 10 or whatever. That's what I was going to say is if we're talking about a guy who may not be staying in, we're probably talking about end of the first start of the second. And it seems like 
older guys are starting to go in that range. So if it's a guy in that range and maybe they need to prove their jump shot or improve their defense or their, you know, whatever aspect of their game and NBA teams think, Hey, one more year in this program is going to help them develop that. Then they can come back into the draft the next year and they're ready to come in and maybe not contribute year one, but they're a year closer to actually contributing. I also think of a guy like Donovan Klingon, who, where do you think Klingon would have went in 2023? 12, 13, 14, okay. somewhere, somewhere 10 to 20, I think. Okay. I thought about him where like he played what 13 minutes a game or something like that. Like some of these guys, like for Klingon, I want to see him in and in that role where he's playing 25 to 30 minutes a night and he still would have got drafted high. But now I think sometimes they make their decision to be a 2025 draft guy. You know, Klingon could have been a 2023, but I'm coming back. My my guy, Dylan Jones, Sam. Could have been a 2023 draft. He's going to go back and he's going to come back. He's improved the jumper. His body looks incredible. He's got his body fat down and he's going to kill this year and he's going to get himself in first round contention. And that was a him decision. Like he was betting on himself with that situation. And that's what some guys do as well. Yeah, no, it's the Klingon one's interesting. The Klingon one was like 100%. Like he had all the information in front of him and he just decided, I want to go back to school. Like whole, whole scale that's what happened there um and yeah look some guys just like to bet on themselves and like try and if you can be a first round pick the organizational investment in you is just like much stronger yes Yes. so there is real value in that still uh let's go to yuri gagarin uh why isn't Beal getting more hype on the Suns? He averaged 30, was all NBA, is only 30 years old, and obviously didn't care much last few seasons in dc phoenix has the best trio in the league I will say again, I think Bradley Beal has looked fantastic in the preseason in the game that like I watched. So I am really, really excited to see what that trio looks like. I love that they're leaning into like Beal and Booker on the ball as opposed to like a more traditional, you know, Chris Paul like distributor at the lead guard. I think that it probably will work in a real way. I, I think that Beal's going to be fantastic this year for Phoenix. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Phoenix is getting a lot of attention. I think, yeah, Bill will be awesome. They're just going to outscore everybody. I, they've leaned into it and like power to them. Uh, the games I've seen, one was against Detroit where they scored like 50 points in the first quarter. And then I watched them against the play. Eric Gordon has looked pretty good in the, the preseason games I've watched as well. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how those other guys fill out the roster. Nurkic seems to be fitting in pretty decent with what they're trying to do. And and again, they've just kind of gone all in on, we're just going to score 130, 140 points. And I think it's going to work a lot, a lot in the preseason or excuse me, in the regular season. And we'll see what happens whenever playoff comes. And we all know that game slows down a little bit, but at the end of the day, they have some of the best bucket getters in the league and if they can all share the ball and chemistry can work, I think there was a quote Austin Reeves um, was talking about the Nuggets and how in the biggest moments, Sam, he could feel that the Nuggets had better chemistry because they had played together than the mm. Lakers. That will be what's interesting to me with like the Suns and some of these teams, even the Celtics, even the Bucks. The chemistry. Now they're going to have all year to do it, right? These weren't, tr- you know, these weren't deadline trades, but it'll be really interesting how the chemistry happens in the in the biggest moments is where Austin was talking about, not just random, the biggest moments they knew who was going to do what those three are going to have to figure that out in those moments. Last question here. 
thoughts on Tyler Smith and his draft stock projection. I've really liked what I've seen so far for what it's worth. First rounder, in my opinion, from John's. <laughs> um, Tyler's been a really interesting eval so far, and I'll be really interested to hear what you have to say, Bryce. Um, Tyler is the absolute love of archetypes for me because he is a lefty big shooter and I just fall in love with lefties who have sweet looking jumpers and Tyler has one of those jump shots that looks like it's going in every single time so for those that know he's 18 years old he turns 19 next month a couple years with the OTE program he was uh, this he was a big time recruit right before OTE he's like a top 10 guy in the class like for sure like no yeah. questions asked. Averaged a ton of offensive rebounds with OTE last year. He's kind of truly an off-ball player, but man, he just, he really has a sweet looking shooting stroke. I'm really interested yeah. to see what he does with the rest of his game. That That's where I'm evaluating Tyler Smith moving forward. I think he can yeah. really shoot it. I buy it more so defensively even. Can he be a weak side rim protector? Uh, G League Knight have played him a little bit at the five in some of their games up to this point. I don't know that, I love it, but if he could offer some versatility that way. So that's where I'm evaluating him this year is defensively, versatility, weak side rim protection, defensive rebounding, those type of things. But I'm betting on him doing all of those, shooting the ball really well, stretching the floor, and definitely having his name in the first round conversation. Yeah, I I would project him as a first rounder right now, Uh, more so because I – have talked at length about why I think this draft is not very good. And, you know, that continues to be a reality. But I will say he just needs to get so much better on defense. Like it, it's a tough watch right now. Like he, he just doesn't have like the awareness yet uh, on the weak side. And it, like, he just does not look like he knows what he's doing out there at the moment and And that's a real worry yeah it's definitely something to watch throughout the season to see how much he can improve let me what do you think about his athleticism because i've had this conversation like him between bobby clintman and some like i i want to i'm interested to see how much of a play finisher he can be on top of a pick and pop floor spacer i believe in all of that I think he starts to provide even more value if he can play in the dunker spot, catch lobs, you know, maybe yeah. actually pick and roll every once in a while. Do you believe in that aspect of just his kind of vertical explosion in those type of play types? I hate like doing this, but like TBD, I think sure. is like the right answer, right? Yeah. Um, he shows flashes. Exactly he also shows saying. like some flashes of like being a little bit heavier footed than you want in those circumstances. So I think that like the, I think the right answer is TBD. Like if he can like really finish above the rim, he does show some like interesting, like body control as yeah. well around the basket from time to time. Like I've seen him like go like up and under, like around the basket, like there, he has real acumen. It's just to me, I, I, like the dunker spot particularly is like a different deal where to play in the NBA, like in that role consistently, you need to be able to like really, really, like yes. jump and finish above the rim. Yes. And I, I want to see a little bit more of that. I think I, I don't, I don't know that I have the answer on that yet from him. No. Th- and that's why I asked, because that's kind of where I'm at in my notes with him is it was like, okay, a couple times I wasn't sure. And then a couple other times I was like, okay, like here he's showing the vertical pop. He's showing the play finishing in these play types. And again, 
I know the defense is, I think for both of us is a, a big focus, but offensively, if you can do more than just stretch the floor, if you can do those play types as well, now you become a little more versatile on the offensive end in ways that NBA teams can use you. You know, it's not just spacing the floor. So I was interested to see what you had seen. I think we're kind of on the same page with that right now. Yep, I agree with you. Bryce, I think it's time for you to get out of here. Uh, you have to you have to go do some things today. I have to go parent my kids is what I have to do, Sam. <laughs> that is true. You have to go parent your kids, which is which is great. I'm glad it's, for you. Uh, kind of, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. Yeah, so I'm at Motor City Hoops on Twitter. Appreciate it. Obviously, this platform has kind of bumped the followers recently, so I appreciate that. I appreciate you, Sam, for that. If you're a Pistons fan, the Pistons Pulse, uh, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you listen to podcasts. And then I do draft work over at Draft Digest, part of SI. I have stuff going, some NBL teams, the G League Ignite, and then I'm going to be coming out with an article on the Connecticut and Iowa State NBA draft prospects. So going to be writing about Klingon, Stefan Castle, those guys, but also Omaha Baloo and my guy Keyshawn Gilbert up at Iowa State as well. So if you're into that, check it out. I love it. Go follow Bryce's work, please, by all means. He is the best. This has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the show. We will be back maybe this weekend, maybe more next weekend. We'll see. Until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.